I am Plata on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Ken Reed joins me now. He's just published a terrific book, Ken Reed's Hometown Hockey Heroes. He takes us across the country to the small towns, a lot that are one industry, one company towns, where they're far from a big city with an NHL franchise, and it's where hockey is part of life, the culture, and the folklore. Mr. Reed tells us stories of players who don't always make it to the big leagues, but who become legends. There are uplifting, inspiring stories, as well as heart-rending ones, where hockey legends are cut down in their prime. The stories are of players who play well and passionately, regardless of the pay or size of the crowd, and yet they earn the reverence of fans. As you'll read in the book, Ken's gifts as a communicator come through as he tells these informative stories of leadership and grit, but when he's talking to the guys themselves or their families or fans and observers alike, uh, he's able to get so much from who he talks to that their reminiscences add so much to the color of their lives. And uh, you see why hockey is such a popular sport. Ken captures the romanticism that a lot of fans have for hockey so well. Ken Reed has been with Sportsnet since 2011, where he co-anchors with Ivanka Osmak, their primetime broadcast Sportsnet Central. In over 20 years in broadcasting, Mr. Reed has covered the Olympics, the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, the Great Cup, and the Super Bowl. He is the best-selling author of five other books, including Hockey Card Stories. This new book is published by Simon & Schuster. He is a proud native of Picto, Nova Scotia, but he joined me from Toronto yesterday. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online Program, Ken Reed. Mr. Reed, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Pretty good yourself. I'm fantastic, thank you. How big a town is uh, Picto, Nova Scotia? Well, when I grew up in Picto, it was about 5,000. Uh-huh. Now, like a lot of maritime towns, it's a lot smaller, so it would have been 5,000 in the mid-1980s. Now it's about 3,100, and it is the capital of Picto County, and in Picto County there's about 40,000 people. I see. So I was going to ask you how often you get back, but I understand following you on social media, you were just there this past weekend, is that right? Yeah, I was there over the weekend. I did a signing at the rink I grew up, Hector Arena, as I call it, the house that he built. He was the inspiration for my book, and Teapot was there. His family were there, and, man, we had a, a lineup for about an hour. It was the biggest book signing I ever did. It was uh, pretty flattering to see everybody from my hometown come out because, in a lot of ways, the book's kind of for them because they inspired it. So I was pretty pumped to get back home, but I get home every summer. Yeah. But uh, if I can fit in a quick trip home uh, during, the, during the winter, I try to do it. So it was awesome to get down over the weekend. So you mentioned uh, Dana Johnston, Teapot. Uh, Johnston, um, you write about him in the book. You write about Wayne Woodacre. Um, yeah. These guys are, are, are heroes um, to a lot of people. For you, if you if you had to look back at, at what drew you to them and and yeah. what was it that 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 you remember after all these years? I mean, I mean, these things stay with you, don't they? They do, and uh, that was what's great about the book because everyone had a guy like Wayne or Teapot. I guess what drew me to Teapot was. I mean, I obviously watched hockey as a kid at my parents' house, and my earliest memories of shooting on my grandfather watched hockey in Canada. But when you're on eight or nine years old, you're allowed to go to the rink on your own, and you kind of wander. And I discovered this junior seeking called the Picto Mariners on Saturday night. So my brother and my buddies would go down to that. It was unsupervised. You know, it's the 80s, right? You do whatever you wanted in a small town. Mm-hmm. So we cheered our heroes on, and for me, the guy that stood out was Teapot. He just kind of stood out to everybody. He was one of those guys that... If the game went to overtime, he was getting it. If there were three seconds left and you needed to tie it up, he was getting the goal. He was just that guy. So I think when you're a kid, you're obviously attracted to the stars of a team. I mean, 
if you grew up in Vancouver in the mid early nineties, you probably loved Pavel Bure. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably love Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes now. Mm-hmm. Me, I didn't grow up in Vancouver. I grew up in Pecto, Nova Scotia, and uh, our Pavel Bure was teapot. So he was my guy, and he was the guy for the whole town. Yeah, that's that's what comes through in the book. These these hometowns, these small towns, if you will. Um, you know, they're far from the big city. They don't have a, an NHL franchise close by. So so local hockey is the draw. And, and, and a lot of these towns, I mean, you you, you, you talked about Picto um, in the book about a town coming out of, you know, sort of like out of the wonder years. Yeah. Um, these are working class towns, uh, one industry, one company towns. And, and I think that's what, that that's why hockey is is such a draw in this country for a lot of people, yeah. wherever they end up. Yeah, I mean, for us, they are the Pixel Mariners. They were my Montreal Canadiens. Mm. The generation before me, it was the Pixel Maripacks, the junior B team, and they were our Montreal Canadiens because we couldn't just hop on a streetcar and go to Maple Leaf Gardens, or we just couldn't go down to Pacific Coliseum. For us, in the city, it's the NHL. In a small town, it's your local team. And honestly, um, I mean, they're not cheered, up, cheered on any differently. I mean, we're just as passionate for those teams as we are our favorite NHL teams, and kind of from doing the book, I kind of thought, man, when I was a kid, I loved the Montreal Canadiens and always wanted to go to the Forum, but now that I look back, I did eventually get to the Forum, but now that I look back, I kind of had the best of both worlds, right, because I could go see my guys in person, and then I could watch the Canadians on Hockey Night in Canada, where for a lot of people who grew up in the city, they could just watch the Canadians on Hockey Night in Canada, so I, I kind of, looking back on it, you're, when you grow up in a small town, you think, man, there's got to be something better out there. But when you get older, you kind of think, well, maybe, maybe that wasn't so bad at all. So I, I, I kind of discovered that when I wrote the book. Yeah, these, these guys that you write about are, are so so memorable. Um, you know, and you write about the, their skill, their size, the fighting even. The thing that, yeah. that I, I realized as I was reading the book is that a lot of these guys are relatable, aren't they? They are relatable because I think they all played for the love of the game. Mm. And I think that they're relatable because... When, when, when you want to play hockey and you want to play so bad, you think you'd put everything on the line. I think that's why, as a lot of us fans, we love the tough guys, we love the fourth liners because they're giving it their all. And when I look at these guys in my book, it's like, you know, they were giving it their all and they weren't doing it for money. They were doing it for the love of the game. And I think when we think of the game, I know I do, I think of it very romantically. And when I look at these guys, they were in it for the love of the game. I mean, I, I love the part in the book where Cliff Duchesne a young kid who's playing junior in Manitoba, he takes a stick in the mouth and he loses all his teeth. Mm. And he, he doesn't fall to the ice. He looks up at his dad and he smiles. He's like, Dad, you know, kind of thing. Dad, dad, I'm a hockey player now. And I think they're relatable because I think that's what a lot of us would like to think of ourselves. If we were given a chance at the NHL level or even the local junior or senior level, like the guys in this book. Yeah. yeah you, you mentioned Cliff Duchesne. I mean, uh, that's one of the, the tragic stories in the book. You know, um, uh, George Pelawa. Um, yeah. You know, these are stories of, of, of uh, what if um, yeah. lives cut down before they actually get a shot at making it. Yeah. So that's, that's and you know, that's the narrative, right? They, they, their lives ended too soon. And obviously their lives ended too soon. You say they, they ended too soon before they made it. But I kind of look at it, well, maybe they did make it. Mm. They just made it in a different way. Because if you talk to anybody from the PA or the Norman North Stars in Manitoba who played with Cliff. Cliff is still with them. I mean, the reason I got on the Cliff Duchesne story was I was contacted by a guy named Greg Douglas, who's an RCMP officer in Red Deer. And 
keep your up playing Cliff. He followed Cliff's footsteps and played AAA with the Norman North Stars. Then he played for the for the Paw in the Paw, and it's just for the OCN Blizzard. And it's just Cliff only lived until he was 22, but he still made an impact on this guy and his community. And George Blawa in Bemidji, Minnesota. I mean, I'm talking to a guy who scouted for the Arizona Coyotes for 25 years, and George is still with him. So I think what I got from this book as well as you don't have to make it all the way to the NHL in order to make it. You can still make an impact, and that's what the guys in this book did. And I think oftentimes as hockey fans, especially in today's world where you can watch a game on TV any night, mm-hmm. it's, it's, hockey's about more than the NHL, and I think this book proves that. Yeah, and that's the thing that, that uh, struck me as I was reading your book is, is your gifts as a communicator come through through in the writing. But I, I can tell as someone who's, who's talked to a lot of people over the years, when you talk to um, the people who are depicted in the book, their kids, um, the, the guys themselves, the play-by-play guys, um, the memories just come flowing back as you're, you're uh, asking them questions about these guys, right? Yeah, I mean, the guys who spoke to me in the book, about their local heroes, it wasn't hard getting the stories out of them because they're passionate about somebody. And, I mean, you know, as an interviewer, if you, you talk to somebody about something they love, it's not hard to get great answers. So, I mean, in this book, talking to, to uh, George Matthews, he was the play-by-play announcer for about 20 years for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah. He's from Summerside, PEI. But in his heart, the toughest guy he ever saw is still a guy from Summerside named Pinky Gallant. So when I asked George about Pinky, he just went on and on and on and on. So it's it's amazing that, and I think the guys in the book they're kind of like fine wine. They 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 age they, they better with age, and in a lot of ways the book's kind of folklore too, right? Because there's no footage of this guy, mm-hmm. these guys. So when I'm when I'm wondering about Mike Pinky Gallant, well, I'm taking the word of George Matthews, I'm taking the word of Gerard Gallant, and I'm taking the word of his kids. It's almost folklore. That, that, and that's what I loved about this book. I mean, Palawa, George Palawa was basically Paul Bunyan. The guys say that as much. So. Yeah. I kind of like that about the book. Yeah. There's also heartbreak and disappointment for a lot of these guys, you know, yeah. the ones that don't make it to the NHL. When you talk to them and you ask them what if or how they deal with, say, the possibility of it all, I mean, yeah. that heartbreak, does that come through when you're talking to them? I think it would have if I talked to them right after it happened. Mm. But I think time heals all wounds and you know i was in sydney nova scotia doing a book signing with bruce campbell who's in the book and he had a sniff from the quebec nordiques and a sniff from the winnipeg jets and you know he was getting 37 bucks a day at american league camp for the nordiques he's kind of going i can't live on 37 bucks a day so he goes and plays senior in newfoundland makes really good money and you know he goes back to cape breton every summer and he knows that there's people going oh man why do you why didn't he go for it why didn't he go for it and we talked about that when i was with bruce the other day I always say, you know, one man's dream is another man's reality. You can dream of playing in the NHL all you want, but bottom line, if you don't got a healthy sign of it's pretty hard to survive on 37 bucks a day. So you do what you got to do. And for, for Bruce, I think he doesn't think what ifs anymore. And again, I think this book maybe reinvigorates to him that he did make it because there's guys on the island still talking about him. There's guys in mainland Nova Scotia still talking about him. There's guys in Cornered Rex, Newfoundland, and Stephenville, Newfoundland, still talking about it. So, again, I think if Bruce looks at his playing career, I mean, this is a guy who was playing gentleman's hockey one night and then the American Hockey League the next night mm-hmm. in the mid-1990s. That's how good he is. So 
he was great. He was good. He was successful. And again, you don't have to make the NHL to make it. And I think over time you realize that. And uh, he, he's not bitter about it at all. And again, one of the nice things about the book is nobody was bitter. They were all kind of pleased with what they did. And, and now these are stories that go beyond their hometowns. And you're, yeah. you're talk, telling these stories across the country now with, with this book coming out. Um, the story of Tyson, I can't pronounce his name, Whatney? Whatney. Whatney. Whatney yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a remarkable, moving story. I mean, this is a kid who, who, who overcomes such adversity, endures yeah. racism throughout his playing career, and yeah. uh, plays up to, uh, he's over 40 when he, when he retires, is that right? He, yeah, I mean, Tyson's a kid who grows up in Saskatoon. He's got, you know, he's loving life. He's playing the highest level he can. And his mom takes a job in Manitoba was in uh, Montana. And he's kind of like, well, what do I do? I don't want to go to Montana. There's no hockey there. Yeah. Moves with his dad to the First Nations uh, outside of uh, a town. I think it was outside of Prince Albert and kind of lost right yeah he doesn't really have a home he's kind of looking for a home for all these years he's playing junior hockey he's trying out for this team he's trying out for that team he's not going to school he's getting into trouble and you know eventually he starts moonlighting as a senior hockey player and like a lot of senior hockey players he jumps from town to town but he ends up in a small place called Car Roberts, saskatchewan an hour west of saskatoon and i mean you can look at the look at tyson's story as he became the hero of Car Roberts. he was their top player but I think more importantly, he found a home, right? So hockey doesn't always have to lead you to the NHL. Sometimes it can lead you to where you belong. And I mean, for Tyson, he, he owns a company now in, in Car Robert. And I mean, <laughs> if you talked to Tyson Watney when he was 14, he probably would have said NHL or bust. But there's more to life than the NHL. I mean, family man, he's, he's a happy dude. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a, a legend in the indigenous hockey circles. So I was like... Again, yeah, like you said, I was so happy to, to share his story because his story's not going to get out there. Yeah. Well, I'm not popping my own tires, but I guess I just like spreading, spreading the words about guys who I think are very meaningful to the game. You know, I asked you at, at the start of our conversation, Ken, about um, where you grew up, and, and I was reading the book because there's a lot of stories about players from Atlantic Canada. Um, I was going to ask you what are the chances of, of the NHL expanding to that part of the country, but I, I guess that's not a possibility just in terms of, of the no. size of the population, right? No, if Quebec City's too small and they don't have enough money, well, we're not even close to that. Money's pretty tight back home. And there's nobody who's going to put up the money for a proper arena. And there's not enough business to fill those seats. And when you look at the price of stuff, it's funny. I mean, you look, they got 3500 at a rink in Arizona, which is an absolute farce. They should be playing in Quebec City, but yeah, I uh, I wouldn't roll the dice on a team in Atlantic Canada anytime soon. But that's good because that means uh, we can embrace our local hockey heroes, yeah. right? We got the Cape Breton Eagles, we got the Newfoundland Growlers, the Halifax Mooseheads, the Victor County Weeks Crushers. I can go on and on. Yeah, yeah. The thing that 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 I enjoyed about the book a lot is is that you're a guy who writes not just for the eye but the ear as well. <laughs> um, I'm sure readers. Will, will tell you that when they're reading the book, they hear you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, that's like that's one of the best compliments I got. Is it sounds like I'm just sitting down having having a beer and telling somebody a story, and I think I just come by that style because that's kind of the way I am. Um, I'm a guy from Nova Scotia who likes to talk. There's a lot of us like that. <laughs> so I just, uh, I guess I just kind of put my words down on the paper. Um, you're not going to need a thesaurus when you read my book. 
I'm not looking to uh, to wow you with uh, academic type writing. I think uh, I think if uh, somebody who read the book ran into me at the Legion having a Pepsi, uh, we could sit there and it would probably sound just like the book. So that to me, again, uh, uh, some people say fake it, you make it. I highly disagree. I think uh, in the words of Audio Slave, to be yourself is all that you can do. If it works, it works, and if it works, and you're yourself, yeah. You take the criticism and you take the praise because not everyone's going to like it, but um, people say they enjoy the book and it's very conversational. I really appreciate that, so thank you. You mentioned your parents and the acknowledgments, uh, and, and you, you say that they're great storytellers. Do you think that's where you got it from? Oh, yeah. I mean, but I think uh, it's funny. My brother's a stand-up comedian. And people will say, you know, Peter, you're so funny. And he'll say, yeah, but everyone's funny where I'm from. And it's true, <laughs> so everybody's a pretty good story where I'm from, so storyteller I'm from so I mean I had people at the book signing coming up the other day and we were just laughing because everybody has a story about teapot just so happens I was the guy that put them down on paper so yeah, yeah uh, the gift of gab I mean that's just a maritime thing I think and then the other thing that I, I was thinking about as I was finishing the book is that you could have had a, a, a book of uh, stories twice the size yeah um, yeah I mean, and people are telling you their their favorites, their favorite teapot story, oh. or, or their own teapot in their own town, right? Yeah, my goal is I've said when I wrote the book, as soon as people are done reading it, I want them to go to me. Oh, you should have wrote about so and so from my town because I get that a lot. Um, I had one guy told me you got to write a photograph from my town named Rabies. Why do you call him Rabies? He goes, Well, he bit another player one night. I'm like, Well, <laughs> if you Rabies, is going to be in the book. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of people say you should write about so and so, which is awesome because you know it kind of opens the doors to a sequel. So I'm not saying it's going to be a Lord of the Rings esque, but I'll keep going for as long as I can because I do enjoy telling these stories. Yeah. So so I see you uh, out here in Vancouver after the Canucks game most nights. Yeah. Um, so it seems that you get home rather late. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, and and so yeah. what's the evening like? Because I'm assuming you don't j- jump into bed right away. I mean, you have to come no. down from performing, right? You do. So last night I got into work at six. We typically get in for six. Have a little meeting, uh, and then last night I went on briefly after the Oilers game, which was earlier, and then I came out of the Canucks game. Man, the Canucks are good, by the way. Thirteen wins, and uh, then I got home at around I'd say twenty to two. Uh-huh. And usually I stay up and watch some TV, but last night, honestly, I was so exhausted from the traveling on the weekend, I actually fell asleep kind of kind of in an okay fashion, which never happens for me. So typically when I work and I get home around quarter to two, I'm usually up to at least 3.30, but last night was really nice. It was one of those rare nights where I fell asleep really quickly, so I was very thankful for that when I woke up this morning at the crack of 11, 10 a.m., and, and you mentioned getting to work at 6 p.m. So, so between that time and the time that you're on the air, are are you in the newsroom, say, watching all these games? Yep. Come in, sit down, watch and write. That's kind of what I do. Watch, write, and observe. And what I like about our show is, if I'm coming out of the uh, coming out of the Canucks game, you can't really plan ahead all that much for it. You just kind of react to what you see. Yeah. Which is what I really, really like. So, I mean. I could come on and say, oh, the Canucks were so-and-so going into this game. But, I, I, Joe, I just like reacting off that game. So that makes it fun. It's like kind uh, of like jazz, right? You can plan a few songs, but the show all depends on what happens with the game, which is kind of fun for me. It makes it very lively. And, and so when you're writing it, um, do you and Ivanka, do, do, do you plan out 
I mean, because you guys make it look so effortless. But I know there's a lot we of work don't. involved, you know. We don't. So they'll say, okay, back from break, and we're going to have a 30-second montage of all the Canuck schools on camera throw to Rick Tockett. And her and I will typically look at each other about five seconds before we go back and go, you, you, I'll start, I'll start. And then we just ad-lib it. And uh, we make fun of each other a lot. Um, we we kind of like... It's funny, Joe, you mentioned, like, my writing is kind of like sitting in a bar and talking. Maybe uh-huh. I mentioned that, but I like to think that's what our show is, too. So I'm not going to come on and be like, uh, the Canucks with a 3-1 victory over San Jose tonight on the heels of a great goal by Quinn Hughes. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be like, man, can you believe the Canucks had 13 wins? Because I can't. And when I look at Thatcher Demko, it reminds me of Troy Gamble in 1991. Oh, here's the coach. That's kind of our style. We just, you just do what you do. And uh, luckily for me, Ivanka's a great partner. We get along well, and uh, if it looks effortless, it's be kind of because it is. There, I'll pull back the curtain a bit. We don't over-plan, put it that way. Mm. Yeah, leave the planning to the producers. You know that, though, right? <laughs> well, as someone who hosts and produces his own podcast, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, exactly. So are you monitoring what's being said on social media and, and all these things on Twitter? Yeah, sort of? yeah. Twitter's kind of like our newswire. Yeah. Uh, I monitor what's being said about the game. I don't want to be monitoring what's being said in my mentions because I don't want to go on the air and tell everybody that someone told me I stalked 58 times tonight. <laughs> so, you know, I kind of use Twitter as a newswire, if anything, and, and try not to tweet politics because that isn't going to do well for me. Yeah, and because I always wonder, because um, there's some nights, like there was a football game on Monday night, there, there were all these, yeah. these Canadian teams playing in, in the NHL, um, uh, there's basketball, obviously, as well. Yeah. How do you, I mean, you, you've got other people watching the other things that you need to watch yeah. and report on, right? Yes, that's the beauty of a place like Sportsnet. So I used to do local sports where I would have to watch everything, cut the highlights, produce, uh-huh. go and shoot and do the interviews here. At Sportsnet, they just kind of set you up for success. So if there's 10 NHL games on the go, there's 10 guys watching. There's a guy watching each game or a girl watching each game, cutting the highlights and they put them all together in a nice tidy package and all I have to do is deliver it without stumbling over myself. So some nights I succeed at that, other nights I don't. But uh, the other thing is, I mean, when you're hosting Sportsnet Central, you're kind of a generalist, right? Like, I'm a specialist on one thing. There's a lot going on. So I just try to do my job and stay out of the way as much as I can. You, you mentioned the movie Slapshot a couple times in the book, and, and that's a movie <laughs> yeah. I've, I haven't seen yet. I guess everybody should oh my see God. that, right? Please, 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 go home tonight and watch Slapshot. Do yourself a favor. I actually have then, the DVD, so I, I should oh my God. watch it, right? Well, if you watch it, then you'll re- understand all these references I keep making on air. Ivanka, ah. uh, her claim to fame is she doesn't like movies. She hasn't seen Slapshot and she hasn't seen Shawshank Redemption, my two favorite movies. <laughs> so I will constantly slide in Slapshot references, and she has no idea what I'm talking about. So I, I view that as pure fun. But, yeah, go home and watch Top Shot tonight, please. We'll do then, yeah. Um, the, the other thing you mentioned uh, offhand or, or um, briefly that you didn't like high school, is that right? Oh, I hated it, hated it, absolutely hated it, yeah. yeah. I was uh, I was extremely shy. I didn't care for the academics because I knew what I wanted to do, right? I knew I wanted to be a sportscaster, so what did I care about math? And it's funny, um, on the weekend I saw one of the guys getting a book signed was, Jim Ryan, who was my high school math teacher. So to Jim, I told you I sucked at math, Ken. And then <laughs> Ken Johnson came up, my English teacher, and I said, if there's any grammatical errors in this book, it's your fault. <laughs> so I knew what I wanted to do. So I wasn't much on the high school social scene. The boys called, some of the boys called me houseplant because I never left the house. 
and uh, that's fine. But I knew there was more out there. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to be the guy that peaked in high school. I knew that, and uh, I just, I kind of, I like to think I saw through the facade of it all. And uh, yeah, wasn't a big fan, but hey, I guess it got me to where I was. So yeah. I think that's the other thing about high school is, uh, I think for a lot of years it tried to just produce one type of student. It's not all about the person who gets straight A's. There's a lot of potential, and sometimes the guy who just squeaks by as well. I guess that's a, the to- a topic for another book, I, I suppose, right? Uh, yeah, or podcast, whatever you prefer. Yeah. Um, when you do your job, because um, yeah. there, there are very few people who actually do what you do for a living. Yeah. Um, are there people that you grew up with that you're thinking about, you, you steal from, you emulate, if you will? Um, like sportscasters? Yeah, or broadcasters oh, yeah, I mean, in general, say. I think, um, yeah, as a kid, I mean, I was just as obsessed. I always say this. Bob Cole meant as much to me as Wayne Gretzky when I was watching Hockey Night in Canada. Mm. So, Bob Cole, Danny Galvin, Dick Irvin, Jim Houston. I wrote Gino Retta a letter when I was 14. He called me back. It was amazing. Uh, Jim Euston wrote me a six-page handwritten letter when I was 14. It was amazing. So then when I went to Calgary, there was guys like Doug Vason, Kurt Sibley, Tom Negevin. And I think a lot of broadcasters maybe unintentionally so. Yeah. Just take a bit from this guy, a bit from this guy, a bit from this guy, and a bit of yourself, and then then you have your own style. I mean, I think one of the most important things in broadcasting that people don't talk about is writing. And uh, there's writing habits I have now that I learned 25 years ago. So... You take a little bit from everybody, absolutely. But I mean, Bob Cole, man, that I love Bob Cole. He was he was my guy, mm-hmm. and uh, now he knows me by name. Same as Ron and Don. Love yeah. those guys too. So when they know you by name, it's kind of weird, but you take it. Yeah. Well, what is it like when you get to go back to Picto, and and oh, there's a kid who says that they want to do what you do for a living? I. It's so funny because a lot of people in my business, when when people tell them that they want to go into broadcasting. They don't tell them don't because it's tough. Yeah. And I said, oh, I'll never crush a kid's dreams. I'll say, you just go until you someone tells you can't do it anymore because nobody thought I could do it, except probably my mom. And here we are. But I always thought I could do it, which was nice. But, yeah, just go for it. And keep, it's kind of like playing hockey. If you want to play in the NHL, you, you use the game. You don't let the game use you. And if it takes you all the way to junior C, that's great. If it takes you all the way to college hockey, that's great. For some kids, it takes them all the way to the NHL. So you just keep going until somebody tells you no. And nobody ever succeeds by quitting. I always tell kids that, too. Yeah. yeah. And does um, your job, when you do it every night, when when the Canucks are doing as well as they do or any other team in, in, in this country, yeah. does it make the job more fun? Yes. People always think we want their team to lose. Yeah. It's not very true. Like, like, I mean, I'll come on after a Canucks loss. If you come on, okay, let them come out of the Canucks, the Leafs, the Oilers, the Flames, anybody. Yeah. If they lose, that's when you get the whole, he hates my team, he hates my team. If the Canucks win and I do a show, you get no comments at all. So I do not want your team to lose. I wish you all the success in the world. And uh, <laughs> the other funny thing here inside baseball, yeah. people will say, oh, you're such a Leafs homer. If people knew how much of a diehard Montreal Canadiens fan I was as a kid, they would absolutely laugh at that. So uh, I honestly wish your team nothing but success. Seriously. Yeah. And uh, when I look at the Canucks now, I'm just like, man, 13-5-1. No part of me saw that coming. Ray Farrell did an awesome breakdown last night on our show of the yeah. passes Quinn Hughes was making. He saw that one, right, with the arrows on the ice, 110 feet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just 
just crazy. So, I mean, in Vancouver, I mean, man, what a guy to build around. Amazing. And, and you know, you see it on social media. You know, is it sustainable? Um, oh, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's only November 21st. I mean, but. yeah. Well, I, I, this is what I would say to it. Is it sustainable? Um, who cares right yeah, now? Yeah. You're, what, eight games up on 500? Just play good hockey. Figure it out when you get to the playoffs. But what an, a fantastic start because I always say you can't win the Stanley Cup in October and November, but you can lose it. And, I mean, you look at the Oilers. Can they potentially – they're going to have to go on a run like the Canucks started with. So the Canucks have the luxury of already having that under their belt. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today, Ken. I'm, I'm, I'm a great admirer of your work and, and a fan of your, your, your broadcasting. This is a great book. Congratulations and continued good luck with it. it it's Thanks. such a, an enjoyable read. Thanks, Joe. Thanks a million. I'm glad you, you, you read the book, and I'm, I'm glad that you kind of got what I was trying to put into it, that it's conversational, there's more to hockey than the NHL. And, and, and I guess I could pay you back by saying thank you. And, I mean, you can just pay me back. You don't owe me anything, but you can pay me back by going home and watching Slapshot tonight. And the funny, I'll give you an inside baseball on that, too. I did a book signing, yeah. uh, I guess it would be eight, nine days ago at the Sports Card Expo in uh-huh. Toronto. The guy signing beside me was Alan Nichols, who plays Captain Johnny Upton of the Charlestown Chiefs. So uh, give me a text and tell me what your favorite Johnny Upton line is when this is over. And uh, I'll tell you what Johnny's favorite line is from the movie, because he told me. It has something to do... With a manufacturing plant, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, and, you know, and then I haven't seen Shawshank either. What? <laughs> okay, if you if you told me you didn't see Slapshot or Shawshank before we started recording, there's no way I would have done this podcast. See, it's funny because uh, when young people ask me about broadcasting, I honestly sometimes think about Shawshank because it's all about hope. So remember that. You're going to have a great movie marathon tonight. Yeah, it's my weekend there. I actually have both DVDs. So, um, oh, do yourself a favor and watch them both. Watch them both back-to-back because they are uh, quite contrasting, I would say. The book is called Ken Reed's Hometown Hockey Heroes. It's uh, published by Simon & Schuster. It's author Ken Reed. Join me on the line from Toronto and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Lunder.